0: So, Fran Lewis, welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Hi,
1: Dan. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. You?
0: Yeah, good, thank you. It's nice to have you. Um, To to those listening, just to give a little bit about Fran, Fran was an excellent tennis player, Welsh number one, um, as high as 1,200 in the World WTA. Um, And earlier this year, one of her players... Mimi Zoo they won the prestigious team tennis event. You know, I know Fran, one of the exciting up and coming coaches in the UK. Um, I haven't had the chance to work with you, Fran, but I hear nothing but good things about you. So you must be doing something right.
1: Cheers, Dan. I'm not sure about that, but I'll take it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and in terms of, in terms of the last few months, it's impossible to talk to anyone from Wales. Without asking you, because I, I think almost the standout picture for me on social media was the tennis Europe map of filled with green of every country in Europe that was able to play tennis, apart from little Wales there with the little red. So, how, how's it been in Wales? Because you haven't been on court long. Are?
1: No, we haven't been on court long at all. So, this is our third week back now. It's just been very strange. I mean, when everyone first went into lockdown, it was quite a united thing. So Scotland, Wales, England, yeah. and you, you know, you took it, it was what, what we had to do. But then gradually as people started coming out of lockdown and, you know, the first thing was Europe went, okay, fine, but we still kept, felt quite united and we're sort of all in this together. And then suddenly you had England opened up and you had Scotland opened up Ireland had been doing bits as well so it all just became quite strange and from a performance point of view really difficult for some of those young players you know 11 12 year olds who are competing at top international level and seeing their peers getting stuck in and and they're really not allowed to do anything I mean we were quite restricted in Wales not just with tennis but with meeting other people and travelling certain distances. So it's been it's been difficult. We did as much as we could on on online platforms and our S and C coach was unbelievable throughout the whole thing. I mean he was doing thirty to forty hour weeks on Zoom which kept the kids sane really, but it was very, very strange and sort of unbelievable at, at a certain point.
0: And what about tennis-wise? What what have you been able to kind of keep going during the lockdown period with tennis? Because you've got to be creative, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's just been been really creative. And um, so I said, we had an online, we were doing some online learning, but trying to make that as the hard thing was through that, okay, it's great because you can go into the tactical elements and things that you maybe don't get enough time to do. Yeah. But the priority is still keeping the kids active. So, you know, if you don't have access to much space as well, which a lot of our players don't, then it can become very difficult and, like, parents are still working and we're talking about young players here. Yeah. So that's where that integrated approach came in, running a lot of things with our S&C coach and actually trying to bring groups together so you know you can get 30 kids on zoom and they can all see each other and we had to make sure that we had things that they can do in a very small space so I can't really thank um Josh who is our S&C guy enough for that because he ended up taking a huge lead on things whereas as coaches we used to sort of lead in and and um but Josh had to almost take over a little bit there
0: yeah and I think you make an important point I mean I've got three kids myself the the social aspect and and actually what we're we're going to be talking about today the mental health side of for these kids as well i mean i I certainly noticed my my kids and also kids at the academy that personality started to change a little bit you know they weren't quite as bubbly as as they normally would be. And you don't really know what's going on, on their little, in their little minds. So just to be able to turn a screen on and be able to see the mates, you know, is arguably as important than, than the physical bit that they're doing. In terms of that time, it's been interesting talking to everyone. i will be speaking to so many people on the podcast. Lots of things have changed. You know, like we've had a few players give up. <laughs> we've had a few players decide, actually, we're not going to travel back to Spain. We've had some players that have decided, "Why am I not in Spain? We want to come back, and or we want to start in Spain as soon as possible." It seems to have been a big reflective time. Um, how's that been for you guys?
1: Uh, I think we've been quite fortunate in that we haven't had anyone give up, which is nice. So yep. everyone is raring to go, and we're talking about you know younger age group here. Right. I mainly work with fourteen under, twelve under players, so they're not quite hitting that dropout age yet. So thankfully we've um, managed to avoid that. But the most challenging thing has been the difference in cost of programmes now. So I spend most of my time in trying to find ways to make tennis affordable, performance tennis, which is very difficult. And now we've gone into a situation where, because we actually can't run groups in Wales, so everything is individual now and we don't have a great club culture. Um, a lot of that is down to the weather is is pretty poor down here, but we have ourselves to blame as well. So people aren't used to going down to the club and just playing with your friends and you can still play 10 hours a week or whatever. It's like, unless it's an organised lesson, oh, yeah. uh, we don't we don't do it. So it's been it's been a big change there. Like I'm in the process of trying to set a load of match plays up so that we can massively reduce the cost of, you know, what it costs to get on court for an hour. Yeah. But it's just been trying to change people's perception of, okay, no, you, you can still play 12 hours a week if you want to do that. You, there's no expectation that you're going to go and do 12 individual hours with a coach you can do that with a friend and still get your contact time once twice a week but so we do have like a situation now where some are still only playing like two hours a week because they're waiting for their lesson and then others have got stuck into it a little bit more and realized and actually really quite enjoying being down some of the local clubs and playing with their mates so I'm I think there are positives that you can take out of it because, in my opinion, we really need to get yeah. back down to the clubs and get that side of things going again, and it doesn't need to be as structured as it is. Yeah. So there's probably one real positive change we can make there, but we're still hoping that we can get groups restarted fairly soon so that we can get a bit more contact time, like I yeah. said, where it is more affordable.
0: Briefly tell me about your tennis journey obviously you 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 played to a good level um when did it all start and 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 how was that journey for you
1: yeah so i mean i wouldn't say that i played to a, a good level but i probably maximized i um i started at a local club in a really small welsh village at about i think i was about eight and just got hooked to it um and it wasn't it wasn't structured at all. There was a really good coach down there. Not in terms of, you know, just he made it so fun. I remember doing a couple of sessions and straight away was nagging my mum to cancel other things. I'm saying, look, can I just do another one of them a week? And, and I was lucky that I was close to the club so I could just walk down there after school and on weekends and I'd be there all day, every day. And then suddenly just started getting a little bit better because i was pretty terrible to begin with and and when i did my dad picked up on that a little bit and he's quite a good sports person himself so he was sort of the driver behind it then he pushed you know pushed me to move and start playing playing tennis indoors which was about a 45 minute drive um and then it's all started there, really, at about ten, eleven years old, when he started to have, have to drive me down to Swansea pretty much every day. Um, but I, I've always been based in Swansea, done a bit in Cardiff, and and it wasn't wasn't the most structured program, and I never really had the funds to do it. But I just absolutely loved tennis, so it was trying to find. Ways where I could always continue my tennis—that was the difficulty for me because, at, you know, at 16, I wasn't great, but I didn't want to stop playing. So I went to college, and they gave me a small like a small scholarship that allowed me to continue playing. At 18, again, I really I was really really was not very good, but I did not want, I didn't want to stop playing. I was desperate to play, so um, again, went to Swansea University on scholarship which allowed me to continue playing and then when I did pick my ranking up at uni that was always my goal I wanted to get a ranking I didn't I knew I wasn't going to be like top 500 300 but I really wanted to achieve that so as soon as I did I pretty much stopped because I realized I was I was done with it because I was working Working for a sponsor, like 10 hours a week, I was in uni full time. I was trying to do some hits and make some money as well, and it was just impossible. And once I started doing it, because I picked my ranking up from British tournaments, and I thought, I'll give it a go. I'll try and travel to a few." And I did it, and I realized I actually really, really struggled with it. I was getting I wouldn't say depressed, but very down about, you yeah. know, the travel side so just traveling on my own trying to room with people where we didn't even speak the same language, yeah. being so nervous because the situation was so new to me, like you'd crash out first round and you're meant to be at the event, you know, that country for a few weeks. Yeah. So I really struggled with that and things like, you know, signing in your first alternate and not getting in. Uh, so it was all like so new to me when I did eventually get my ranking that, I just, I said that was um, that was what I wanted to do and it was enough for me. I didn't really, probably wasn't good enough to go much further with it. I didn't have the funds and it oh, yeah. started mentally to become a bit of a grind. So that was my journey.
0: The thing that jumps to my mind, what about American University? Was that an option in your head?
1: <laughs> I, w- I wish I would have done it. I, I didn't even know about it. I had no idea about hadn't been introduced to it my dad had sort of mentioned it briefly and I had this perception that if you were doing that you like you weren't taking it seriously so unfortunately I didn't but I would have I would have loved to have done that that is probably one of my biggest regrets that I didn't go down that route but I just I just didn't know about
0: it yeah Yeah. just because I guess the, the American University all the things you've described the the loneliness the the rooming with random people you know the, the difficulties of doing that on your own i guess the thing that i love about american university is it gives you four and a half years of of security you know it gives you to develop Develop with your friends. You know, you're staying staying with your friends in hotels. Your teammates. You know, you're out eating together. And I think sometimes that's taken for granted. Actually, the moral support that you that you receive through that through that system. And then I'm a big believer. Then when players go and play on the tour after that, if they're good enough, they'll be good enough to be successful. If they're not, they probably know quite quick anyway. Um, whereas the route that you've gone, it seems. Did you play any did you travel in juniors at all?
1: Not much, because again, I wasn't great, okay, like probably like top 16 nationally. and to be honest, we really, really didn't have the money. like my parents went through a, a very like bad divorce from when yeah. I was about 12, and financially that, that really hit us so I went to decided to live with my. Dad, but he went from a position where he could quite comfortably pay for things for me to no longer being able to do that. And I was so aware of it as well that I didn't want to put pressure on him. So, hence, from a young age, it was always trying to find ways to self fund it without putting my dad in a difficult position because I knew that he would do it. (laughs) So, I didn't want to get, you know, became quite aware of I'm not going to get my father in massive debt to do this okay if i was top 100 in the world or number one in britain or something but i was playing because i i loved it not because i was going to be a top pro so
2: um
1: yeah so i i didn't play many i played a couple of itfs abroad and things but not many just got stuck into british tours at about well at quite a young age rather than doing that
0: just because the the reason I ask is, I quite like again how they shadow what you then get in the futures and the, the futures tour. So if you're going into the futures tour, to somebody who doesn't know tennis, they would not believe. And anyone listening to this that isn't a tennis player, you would not believe the the craziness of the tennis world, really. And and it it kind of becomes quite normal. For us once and you as a coach now coaching to a high level, I'm sure it's a lot more normal. But it, just that whole signing in process, the turning up to the tournament and you might not get in the tournament. You know, if you if you don't sign your name in by a certain time, you know, if, if somebody loses or is injured, then you might get in as a lucky loser. You know, there's so many little quirky bits that that throw us off. In in terms of your your mental health journey. When did those difficulties start?
1: Yeah, well, I I wouldn't say I was someone who had had you know mental health problems, as in you know diagnosed a depression or so on, but I definitely always struggled because, like I said, the first tennis for me from quite a young age was a distraction because of the whole situation with with my parents. So that was sort of what what i would do to to vent in a certain way and um and then like i said i struggled because even if, even on the british tour circuit and things like that from quite a young age was was travelling on my own and rooming on my own eating on my own and i was quite a private person so although like i said i wasn't a great player it meant a lot to me so losing a match you know that would and then you're not wanting to talk to anyone about it, and everything you're just everything is very closed off. So I definitely struggled whilst I was playing, yeah. you know, before the it to just deal with the the whole situation. Um, mainly because you don't want to put things on on other people. Yeah. But then I was surprised transitioning into coaching actually how stressful that side of it yeah. is okay. in terms, and if, if anything I've almost found it harder than yeah. than playing especially when you start to get a couple of players, even though they're young who are good, that you really care about yeah. because you live it with them every every defeat every sort of slightly difficult situation you're going through every every moment with them and you know what it's like and you're trying to protect them and you sort of start to live and breathe that it's like you're restarting the whole journey as a as a player again but it's 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 slightly worse because I said you know what you you know how they're feeling. I think that's even harder to to deal with and you know sometimes the pressure that they're under from their parents and then you've got to manage that situation. So that sort of that really surprised me when I had my first really good player, just like the anxiety that that yeah. brought with it. Watch, like I said, watching them, but then protecting them if things had gone wrong yeah. for that, you know, getting, getting, having the parents really getting stuck into them after having a system where, you know, they have to hit funding criteria and, and so on. Yeah. But then on top of it, I think people don't realise how hard the like work life balance is mm. with tennis. So my normal week could be well not during COVID, but that I'm on court seven o'clock pretty much every morning. I'll finish at eight o'clock in the evening. At weekends, you know, I'll work the full weekend if I'm, if I'm not away at a tournament, yeah. but most of I will be at a tournament and you get very little like switch off time. So in Wales, it's tough because we don't have a huge amount of coaches. So I'll generally work, be working individually with about 17, 18 players, which is really difficult because you're then dealing with 17, 18 sets of parents where they're generally, you know, you get disappointment every couple of weeks if they're competing properly. So you're not just dealing with messages from one set of parents. you suddenly, you finish a day, eight, well, eight o'clock at night and you come home and you open the phone and you've got, you know, the most I've had in one day, I've opened my phone. I've had over 110 messages from sets of parents about, and, and most of them, which I completely get, but complaining. Yeah. So that side of it can be really tough and, expectations that parents sometimes have of you you know where they're calling you 9 30 at at night and I'm will really invest in parents and I'll meet up with them as much as I can but some sometimes and that's my own fault for not setting out expectations but sometimes it's you don't even have an hour to yourself a day which can be really difficult to take you just have to and lockdown for me was actually, although I wish it hadn't happened, it was quite good timing because, again, I got to that point, especially I'd been on the road a lot around Europe with a couple of players and it was it was just too much. I hadn't, I can easy some days go three months without a day off. Yeah. And it's like, so I I actually needed that time a little bit just to reassess where I was at and how I was going to do things differently to get a slightly better work life balance. Cause I love what I do and that's part of the reason why I do it so much. I find it, find it difficult to say no, but, um, it brings with it its challenges. That's for sure.
0: No, it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic reflection. And I think there's, there's going to be people in the cars or wherever they're listening to this, just nodding their head. Because I know I found myself doing that, you know, and I think unfortunately it's normal. It's it's normal for us as tennis coaches, and you know maybe hopefully you can take a little bit of comfort from that as well, um, as I think we do. We it's just the reality is, and I spoke to my co-host John, who's who's not on this podcast last night. You know, we'd done a podcast and we fell into a conversation. And kind of the cameras were off and the recording was off and it was like eleven thirty at night and we've been at work since seven and it was like and like a big deep breath and we both did we had a bit of a bit of a moan a bit of a whinge and in, you know about just how difficult it is you know to be to be coaching players to a high level at any age nobody knows what goes into that with tennis coaches apart from tennis coaches that do it So, the question that was in my head as you were talking there, Fran, why do you do it? So, for me,
1: like my biggest motivation, like partly because of the journey that I took, is to make performance tennis like more affordable. So, I'm where the centre is based in Swansea. It's quite, it's quite a tough area. You know, people around there don't have a lot of money so the big thing for me is well like I said I do it to give people like that opportunities just to to try and allow people from or whatever background you're from if you want to do it and you really like it then you're going to do it and we're going to find a way to make sure that you can do it rather than myself and there are people who who are in far tougher situations than myself but you know, at a certain age where I started to become so aware, I, I really, really want to do this, but I, I can't. And it's probably not fair on my family to, to ask that of them. So that the reason I do it, that's the main reason why I do what I do. And my coaching is probably, it's a really strange thing because obviously it is my job, but I don't do it because of the financial side of it. I think I, I, I am probably the lowest paid tennis coach of my level. In the UK, I'd be pretty certain of that. So for me, it's all about providing opportunities and trying to find ways, really, to what you mentioned earlier, to get kids opportunities Mm -hmm. through tennis. So yes, I work in performance tennis, but for me it's about can I get them to an American university or British university on scholarship? can they maybe get a scholarship to a sixth form college? Does it help them get a job at a certain age, especially if they're from a really tough background? Yeah. For me, that's the biggest thing that I can get out of it. It's not about, can I turn this person into a pro player? That's not what I yeah, I okay. do at all. Like it's just trying to pass them on to national academies or trying to pass them on to places that are going to allow them to, have opportunities that they probably wouldn't have had if it wasn't for tennis. So that's the biggest reason behind uh, me doing what I do really.
0: And that's why I know about you. That's why you, you, I, people tell me how good you are. You know, what you just described there, you know, is incredible. And, you know, it's people like you that that do really make make a difference in people's lives, you know, which is a very powerful, it's a very powerful thing. However, to come back to you, during lockdown, you've had plenty of time to reflect on it. Can you give me two things that you're going to do that's going to make sure you take care of your own mental health while still providing those opportunities for the players?
1: Yeah, so it's actually, it's been something that I've been lucky enough to be, working on with a mentor at the LTA so we've had quite a lot of discussions about it and yeah. I'm aware that I ha- that I have to make changes so one of the big things that I really made a decision about in lockdowns was that I was going to have certain things that I did well that I would no longer stand for so no matter the level of the player yeah. that if certain things were happening that i was going to be prepared to no longer do it which was Mm. which was really difficult for me um and out of my comfort zone but certain things that i just had to say that i would no longer tolerate from and unfortunately from parents and i'm not trying to label parents badly at all but Mm. i've i've just got things wrong where i've allowed people to treat me in certain ways and i think what i've what i've started to realize is that sometimes you know coaches you don't you don't work with everyone it might not click with everyone and you have to be prepared even if the player is very good to actually end that relationship which is difficult but you know i have had a couple of situations with that over lockdown and i feel in a much much better place for it even though you know, there were players that I absolutely loved working with. The overall relationship was not working for me, and was putting me in a very bad place. And like the thing I find hard about it is, I will always do it for the child, and I'll be able to put put ignore everything else, so the rest of the relationship can be really poor. Like I'm really not connecting with the parents. There are things that we don't agree upon but I'll let things go because it's like, I'm just going to do whatever I can for that child. And so for me, that has been difficult to try and, okay, no, I have to look at this as a, you know, the parent is involved and the child and, and I can't continue to put myself through certain things if boundaries are really, really being crossed. So that's been, That's been one of the biggest things for me. And then uh, the second one that I'm really being pushed to do is to make sure that I, from September, that I actually have a work phone, which sounds such a small thing. But that's one of the things that causes me the biggest problem is that there is no switch off time for me. So I'm responding to messages at 10 o'clock at night and doing emails and things. So I've I've promised that I'm going to do that so that I actually have operating hours rather than, and okay, I can respond to that the next day, which I just don't, I don't do at the moment. So yeah, I probably haven't summarised those two things very well, but the first one, you know, just having ex expectations, what a parent can expect of me, but then at the same time, what I can expect of them, and if that's not working, then, then that's fine, and there are plenty of other people that you can work with, but I have to stick to that. Um, mm. And then the work phone's pretty simple. It's not a big one.
0: No, well, I think they're great reflections. I think that ma- the management of expectation, I think with any player, any, any parent, any kind of stakeholder in, in a player, is, is arguably the most important bit. I think you know, and that's that's again something that certainly I'm learning. I I can completely relate to when again this is not a, a tennis parent bashing podcast because tennis parents are amazing around the world and do so much and you know for their, for their kids. But ultimately, we see time and time again parents feeling like they own own the tennis coach, you know, and you you end up getting pushed into a corner where. Because you are so dedicated to the player, they then will play on that and it's and it's just it's suffocating it really is it's it's a suffocating feeling and and then but once once that relationship has broken down, and I've got numerous examples of it happening to me happening to coaches at the academy happening to to coaches around in reality, it's now not best for the player, you know, and it's a case of you know, it, the whole, the triangle has to work. You know, everyone needs to be on the same page. This is, these are the values that we expect. This is how it's going to be. And, and I know certain certain things when I start working with players, even down to, okay, this is how many weeks a year I'm going to travel. You know, this is how many weeks I'm comfortable traveling. You know, this is this is what I'm able to give in terms of my time. You know, and, and I'd... I'd learn a lot from you and please let me know how the work phone goes <laughs> yeah i know i could i could do a one of them as well i think as well but but just being able to say you know this is the work phone the difficulty for me on that and, I, and, and it seemed there's a lot of similarities i can kind of feel your your passion burning through the screen in terms of what you with the players with the work phone i actually get more stressed when i go on holiday because it builds up And that's that's something that I certainly have to work on. But I, if I know that, whereas giving myself a couple of hours, even on holiday, a day, just to remove it, actually removes the stress for me. You know, and I think that's also. I guess everyone works in different ways, but you, you definitely need your own time. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: I know. I'm, I'm the same in that. I suppose it's just having that control. It's like I said, you can decide if you're going to switch if you do have a work phone that you're going to switch it on for an hour and you've got to do that whatever rather than you're just trying to relax and then suddenly you've been bombarded by 20 texts and then you can't sleep that night because I quite often get that you know where I go to bed and I wake up the next morning and I'm thinking I really don't think I've slept there I've just gone through this issue all night so um the picking up messages at nighttime is or has been quite a big issue for me so I uh, I definitely need to make that change but and then again just going back to quickly with the parents you know I'm big I do try hard to build really good relationship with relationships with parents but I've made a lot of mistakes by not setting expectations from the start I came into it at quite a young age and got a couple of good players pretty quickly and have been with the same batch. And, you know, when I started, when I started out, I accepted certain behaviors and that was just the way that is. So a lot of it is my, is my own fault because it's now me changing slightly and being like, that doesn't work for me. But also because I do, because i do so much of what i do for free i then find it very difficult to deal with not saying everyone has to deal with criticism but to deal with really really like having your character and things criticized and critiqued when because it's different if you're making a lot of money and you're doing but if it's like really your passion okay and you're making ends meet but you're almost being a bit of a volunteer then you start to be like that's what I'm saying and so in lockdown for me why I had to take a step back and be like okay I'm gonna have to change something here because this really is not working
0: yeah. for me yeah no, no absolutely I think it's a great discussion I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to really relate with you, friend on this you know and it's in in terms of the finance ones a funny one i i've always liked given i mean again similar to you there's been lots of work over the years i've done for free and i've always quite liked that feeling because it's tennis i think tennis is a bit the other way around to the rest of the world and other fields where you know most most fields if it's a football academy it's a netball academy It's it's coaches are employed and they are actually offering that, you know, to be a part of their team. So they kind of maintain the power. Whereas in tennis, it tends to be that the parent and player employing the coach. So the coach has this kind of funny hierarchy of actually being the one that's been employed and is almost on the staff of the family you know and and I always I quote I quite like is when it's flipped when when I'm doing it for free I feel it's the power's flipped a little bit but then another reflection on that is I've also worked out over the years often those that get it for free often don't value it
1: yeah and I think that's the issue is that it can go horribly wrong and I find that quite some Some things have really shocked me because I have some you know one little player who I can mention, Ollie Page, who I've worked with him since he's five and he's he's twelve now and he's actually he's number one in the u k but he no no way they would have been able to afford it and you know I've done a lot a lot for the family, and I will always continue to do it because they're so. Grateful for it, and they they completely get it and and I think that was the way that I sort of expected it to be with with most, but then I've just you know recently had a couple of really ones where i I couldn't believe that they weren't were not grateful for the amount that that I had done for them, and really some big learning lessons of about if I'm actually unfortunately, it goes against what I want to do a little bit, but if I'm going to invest in children, that I have to know the families better before I do that, because I've, like with this little boy Ollie,'ve you know I've got lucky, I've invested in him since he was five, yeah. and thankfully, it's, it's it's taken a nice um, path, and it's, and I'm pretty sure that I will always be involved at some capacity to with Ollie. Yeah. whether he plays tennis or not but a lot of other ones there have been more that have gone the wrong way yeah, yeah. than the than the right way no. um and i just yeah i think i was was quite surprised by that and i had sort of been warned about that a little bit before starting to do what i was doing because how i operate is that i sort of try and raise sponsorship and have a couple of investors Yeah and will help out from a very young age just to make their whole, whole programme cheaper. And I was sort of warned about be careful how much you give people for free. And I couldn't, I couldn't get it at the start. I was like, and then I think four or five years in, I'm starting to realise. So like I said, I think, unfortunately you do have to really, unless someone is in desperate need, Really get to know the family before you start to heavily invest.
0: Yeah, and there's two things that come to my mind on that. One, you you will get that return on that investment. I promise you that you will definitely will. You know, without any shadow of a doubt. You know, and that that might be in a year, two years, five years, ten years you know, but you're going to have an amazing coaching career and you're going to have amazing opportunities, you know, that's without question, you know, and I can tell that from, from even this conversation, you know, I think that's the first thing. The second thing, I think we're in a, we're in a business where we don't get instant gratification. I think we're in a business where it's, it's almost like the 10 year later text that comes through, you know, and like, I know some of the young kids that, you know, if I go back to me starting to coach 15, 16, 17 years ago, I still every now and then get a random text off a parent or player saying, by the way, thank you so much for what you did. I didn't quite understand it at the time or appreciate quite how much you did, but thank you so much. And, you know, I've just got a scholarship to America or I've, you know, I'm doing this now. And it's like, thinking that that took eight years to come. <laughs> you know like whereas whereas in in a, in a lot of a lot of businesses and a lot of fields and especially the modern day it is this instant gratification world you know and i think you you keep doing what you're doing from you do obviously doing an amazing job and you absolutely are going to get that gratification and you and you're going to have a very successful career you know that's without a shadow of a doubt
1: thanks and that's so pretty kind of you
0: one one thing I'd like to also just mention: subtle sexism in sport. Is is that something that you come across as a, as, a, as a female coach and in a very male dominant sport in terms of coaches? Um, yes,
1: yeah, so I find it. It's been really interesting because, as an actual coach, I think being female has got me a lot more opportunities i've had a lot of opportunities that sometimes i feel a, bit, a little bit bad about because i'm thinking i'm pretty sure i've only had that because they need a female or, or so on but uh where i find it really hard is i definitely feel i've been treated differently by parents yeah as a young female coach yeah there are certain ways that parents even recently have spoken to me that i know there's no way that they would speak to a older male in that way and i've I've even had meetings you know with the national age group program coaches and things where parents are in the room and i've had to have other coaches bring up like you do realize that fran is is actually in the room she sat by you and so I definitely think that in a way that sometimes... And that's not... I think even if I was a bit older, that would be quite different. I'm not sure that that's just purely from being female.
2: Yeah.
1: But I do think that sometimes uh, parents are prepared to... and Well, and not just parents, but to cross the line sometimes because they think they won't get a certain response out of me. And even sometimes really being quite aggressive um in the way that they're prepared to to talk to you so I've definitely had experience of that but then in the workplace as well I've had issues with right at the start of my career trying to um push for equal pay because I wasn't getting paid the same as men of the same level at my centre and the management at the centre just couldn't couldn't get their heads around what i was even asking for and i i actually took that i was prepared to really um fight for that and eventually did did manage to get equal pay but i was really surprised again that as a young young female that that would make a difference to my pay for doing exactly the same job so but I feel like I've been very lucky when it comes to the LTA and actual coaching opportunities. Yeah. So there've been pros and and yeah. cons to it for sure. Um, I definitely definitely wouldn't say that it's it's been all bad. If anything, there've been more pros to. I said some of the opportunities that I've had, I know I wouldn't have had if I if i wasn't female because quite often for international trips and things they struggle to get a female coach so i've had some got to you know it's like really kick-started my career because it's allowed me to get into performance environments that i definitely wouldn't have got in and it makes you realize oh actually no i i would really like to try and do this you know things that you initially don't have the belief probably to to do yeah. So I think I've been quite lucky.
0: Yeah. And why do you think there's not more female coaches?
1: <laughs> well, it's you know it's, it's a difficult career path to take because especially if you if you want to have children. You know, and I think that's an issue for a lot of women. If you look at a lot of female coaches that are like really not you know not all of them but they're really all in coaches they quite often aren't married they don't have children and they've had to sacrifice a lot of and i do feel like that's changing and there are some really good examples of female coaches now that have managed to have quite balanced family life and things but it's not it's not the it's not the easiest path To go down if you wanna if you wanna be a performance coach, but at the same time you wanna have two kids and you want a nice life at home. Well, it's not really gonna happen if you're gonna go and travel the world. And so I I think that, and I even I have friends at the moment who are really good female coaches, but unfortunately going to be moving out of coaching because they're about to have children and they just don't feel like they can do it so i think that that is a really really big issue and difficult one to tackle but i do think that people we could start to make some change there in terms of you know if you're employed obviously you'll get you'll get leave if you want to if you're having a child but as a self employed coach you won't get that yeah. And I think it is something that federations could eventually look into. They would definitely get more female coaches or keep more female coaches in the game if they looked to and I know it's not easy but to invest in no, in not. something like that. Yeah. Um and then apart from that, I'm I'm not hundred percent sure, especially because in Wales we're it's a really strange one in Wales because I feel like we have a lot of female coaches. We're really heavy not in not in my centre, but if you go a bit further down towards Cardiff, a lot of really good female coaches in Wales. You know, we have Eleanor Lightbody, Rebecca Rebecca Stresland, Claire Powell. I could name easily name probably ten female coaches. Um, you know, good performance coaches. So it' been. I don't know why that is, but
0: um because i have i mean we (coughs) sort of tell us i've never had in 10 years a full-time female coach and and i've I've had people say to me why not and because no one's applied that's the only and i wouldn't i wouldn't just take a female coach take a female coach i want to have the best coaches that i can have but I, i i just haven't had female coaches apply for apply for roles you know and so I guess from in my from my lens of running an international academy it doesn't seem to be but that would also make sense with what you said you know and maybe more localized in in Wales you know maybe you know there's there's less travel involved yeah. less international travel involved so it's maybe easier to to be able to do that, but but also in the world that we live in, who says that who says that the female needs to be at home looking after the kids. Yeah, no, you know that's, I mean? that's it's true. It's okay. There's a period of time to have the baby, and there's yeah. a period of time to to get to know the baby. But it it seems crazy that that would completely stop it happening yeah. to the level. So yeah, there's there there has to be something more that needs to be done.
1: Well, I I have a lot of conversations with friends who are coaches and. And they really seriously make that decision that they're they're not going to have children, they can't have children for another few years because of the certain batch of players that they have, which is pretty nuts, really. But that's not... Like I said, I have that conversation quite frequently. (laughs) But a lot of coaches who say, I'd love to have children, but can't do it now, but, you know, five years' time or or whatever. And I think people don't realise probably how much that, that happens and I do also think as well I'm not you know sometimes like I I coach players where I've had their parents and in front of me say to me I know you can't you can't be a tennis coach when you're older you know it's not always seen it's not seen as a proper profession a lot of the time and I think with men sometimes it's probably a little more (laughs) probably accepted a bit more because you know men are sporty it's a thing that men do like females even you know I've been really lucky with my parents that have always been really supportive of it but I do know a lot of people as well where the parents are like there's there's no chance you're going to be a tennis coach I don't care if you want to do that you're not you're not doing it so I think do you think sometimes that women are pushed into certain industries a little bit like you know there are lots of industries that are male dominated that women aren't pushed towards and it can be quite easy sometimes just to get sucked into that and follow that that pathway
0: yeah i mean i think on that one and it's the last thing i'll say on this but spoke to Judy on the podcast and, and know Judy pretty well and, and then I also think Andy Murray has done an incredible job in terms of, in terms of bringing just shining a light on it really because you know I, if I really reflect on me 10, 15 years ago, I was probably subtly sexist in some ways, without knowing you yeah. know and not, you know even things like saying who's going to win Wimbledon this year?" you know Roger Federer. You yeah. know, and it's like I will now really, really make sure. It's, who will win the female event at Wimbledon this year? Who will? And 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 that's inspired from Andy Murray. I would say. You know, there was definitely a couple of times when I when I. Listen to him in, in interviews and I, and I had a little reflection and I thought you know what he's absolutely right I, I, I've i done that before you know and I think we all do to a degree you know and obviously Judy's doing a great job trying to build the female workforce so th- there seems to be a bit of an engine room behind it you know and, and with, with the work then that great coaches like yourself are doing um hopefully we'll 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 see it in a much stronger place in five ten years time because it, it absolutely is a is a career path for males females and many people and, and we need to continue professionalizing the the career path for all of us you know so yeah. we're not in this position where you know there is a lot of mental health problems in sport a lot in tennis you know, people are, are working too too much, you know, they're, they're not getting the right work-life balance, exactly what you say, you know, it, it is a, it's a difficult road out there, there's not a lot of security in jobs, you know, this pandemic pandemic has shown that, you know, these self-employed coaches, all of a sudden you can't work for four or five months, you know, so um, I don't have all the answers, but I think having conversations like this hopefully does open people's eyes and he is to to the fact that it's not quite i think people think tennis coaching uh, you just go out and hit a few balls tell yeah. uh, hit a forehand and you and you make a few quid and you know you come back and it's an easy life but the, there's some real difficulties so if you were to give advice to a kind of up-and-coming young coach 18 19 20 getting into the sport around the mental health difficulties that, that that are prominent and, and are possible for us all what would the advice be
1: i think it's just to really make sure that you are taking time for yourself you know there always there have to be a certain amount of hours per week that you block off yeah. yourself not to do admin to do to do normal things and if I could do things differently from the start, that would be a big thing that I would do is I would block a few hours off a week for downtime. And I would make sure that I set, you know, expectations out early, you know, what the parents can expect of me, what my manager at the tennis center can expect of me, what the player can expect of me. um, And just don't, always feel like you have to do it all yourself there's so many people to talk to about things as well and so many people in the same situation as you but often we don't even find the time to do that like how many tennis coaches do we know and how much better do you feel after having a half hour conversation with them oh yeah I've got exactly the same thing and why don't you try and do this so there's some really simple steps that you can take but i think when you start out as a young tennis coach it's expected as well that you put the hard graft in yeah. and you, you have to do these long weeks yeah. i think we have to move away from that a little bit because you know we have it even at, at our center like oh they're young they can do it you know it's fine they can do a 50 hour week and <laughs> because if you get used to that from 18 19 years old that's what you're going to continue to do and that becomes the norm um but yeah like i said set have expectations let people know what they can expect of you and and take time for yourself and then it's a, it's a great job you know then you can really enjoy what you're doing but if you get so consumed by it that you it becomes every hour of your day then you will eventually you will really start to hate it um, so very, that would be
0: yeah very wise words <laughs> uh, i'm going i'm going to leave it there it's a great It's a great place to to finish the podcast it, exactly what you've said there and 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 i think for for me, the motivation in this is for people listening to to feel what they are going through and to normalize it you know and and, it, and i think listening to what you're saying there you know spending time to talk to people about it you know actually doing these podcasts is very therapeutic you know as well because it's it's talking to like-minded people you know and there's there's almost no better therapy in life than than sharing experiences and, and and learning from each other and understanding that it is very normal to feel like that you know anyone that is in in that place where they feel a bit overworked they feel a bit hectic they feel a little bit in 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 that position where they they can't see an out and they're just working 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 um step back you know listen to this podcast listen to some of the other great podcasts of people talking about it and and start making some steps to to move forward to a healthier lifestyle so a big big thank you Fran you've been amazing thank you
1: that's no problem thanks Dan
0: Welcome to episode 37. This is our second part of Mental Health Awareness Week. Today we have Fran Lewis. Fran is a fantastic young coach in Wales. She started coaching at an early age and started working with some real top level juniors at an early age. And she's been doing that for the last seven or eight years. She discusses That process and and also how the process of working with high-level juniors and the expectancy and the work-life balance, how that can have a detrimental effect to us as coaches with our mental health. Uh, It's it's a fantastic listen. I'd, I'd, I'd like coaches, I'm sure coaches this is going to resonate with, But I'd also love to to hear from parents on what they think on on this episode as well. Because I think often as as parents, and I'm a parent myself, we're so invested in our children. They're our number one assets that it's very easy to almost forget everyone else around that. And and the demand that we then have for, for people to look after our children in the right way you know the comparisons that that happen within the tennis world it's a very individual sport it's a very dog eat dog sport and and just the next time that you're speaking to coaches the next time you're texting them maybe just consider consider the time that you're sending the messages consider the tones in which you're speaking to them and just every now and then let them know that you're grateful for what they do and and how much that they're giving up and i and i do believe that will go a long way to to helping people with mental health experiences that they have and just to be felt and for people to feel like they are they are respected and that that they receive that gratitude so uh, it's it's a fantastic listen and i'm not gonna go on anymore over to fran lewis Big thank you to Fran Lewis. Yeah, a fantastic conversation. Um, yeah, just very real, you know, and hopefully you guys can take a lot from that. Uh, Mental Health Awareness Week continues. Tomorrow we have Liam Brody coming onto the show, which is sharing his story. Another fantastic one to listen to. And then later in the week, Joe Dixon on Thursday, before we then have Matt Hingley on Friday and Dr Anthony Ross talking through on Saturday thanks all for your support please keep sharing liking rating reviewing by now you know how it goes if you're the first time that you're listening to these podcasts a big thank you you'll see there's a large selection of podcasts which which, with some amazing guests and we really do appreciate all of you for spending your time with Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan, my co-host John McGann. We are Control the Controllables.